Are you in? Oh, you're. Are we ready? You're in. Yeah, I'm just oh. totally ready. Let's do it. Hey guys. Hey. Oh, not me. The audience. Yeah. Hey guys. Yeah, well. Hey. So um, this is our first podcast after we uh, got on iTunes. That's kind of yeah. Cool. We're kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, there will be ones obviously released after that before this episode, but this is the first time we're recording after we've heard about it. Yeah. Thanks, Steve's so. Ghosts. We really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah it was a nice it was a nice act at least at least for us there might be some yeah. other competing beer cast that were vying against us but you know yeah it's totally a zero it's it's totally a zero-sum game with the apple with the itunes uh, podcast store they're very selective so we were really really fortunate to beat out i think it was like what like 55 60 other uh related podcast juice box at least at least yeah, yeah. maybe even a hundred <laughs> yeah guys so it's a good day um i kind of already feel like we've made it and um i think my mom is even more willing to share our content on facebook uh than before mm-hmm. which is definitely even which is hard to beat she was very enthusiastic before thanks wenda um so but even now i think really like we were saying beforehand now they know i'm a big deal they don't have to take my word for it the hard thing is that, like, I feel like we've kind of hit our peak. Like, what else? Where else can we go, really, from here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're on iTunes. That's enough, I think. I think it's like, I think success is juice box, really. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, I, I realized on recent podcasts we just kind of been jumping in, but uh, you want to play some theme music here? Yeah, do it up. The intro song, we're singing along, drinking beer and talking about politics. Henry and Hops, politics and beer. Adventures and thoughts for your ear holes to hear. So let's have a brew, maybe just three or two, perchance discover new shit that we never knew. So come along. That's the end of our song. Yeah. Oh, that actually is the end of... That's it. We just talk culture and shit. All right, we're back now. Um, so, what uh, what beer are you drinking today? I think it's probably my favorite beer of the world. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an easy one to call your favorite. Um, it's uh, good old Stone's most recent Enjoy By. This year is uh, 7415. So it's a constantly changing favorite because it's never one Enjoy By. It's the Enjoy By series. The Enjoy series. By series. Yeah. yeah. It's my favorite series, and I'm drinking out of a green flash uh, pint glass here. Let me have a little sip here. Let me sip it on the mic. Uh. That sounds awesome. I'm actually going to take a picture of my setup mm. and do the same. I'll try. I'm going to get a little reverse camera action. Camera action. Cell phone camera. Do it. Um, picture. It's right up. now. Um, how do you, oh yeah, it's the top right there, you do a little switcheroo. Ah, uh, technology. Mm. Isn't that what we're all doing? Playing I don't know how I get iPhone. one of on my whole, how do I get my whole setup? Boosh. Alrighty. Yeah, iTunes. Uh, iPhones. Um, anyhow, ta- juice box. Here. Yes. It's good to be back, yeah, enjoy by series, um... You all should know it because it's amazing. It's Stone does it. They used to do it only once in a while, like maybe two to four times a year. And I apologize if we've already talked about this in the podcast. But they seem to be doing it not quite year-round, but probably about 
it's available over 60 – no, I would say over half to three-quarters of the time, like in the middle there. And basically what it is is that it's it's brewed to be a very fresh IPA, a triple IPA probably. And it was funny because I was listening to uh, our most recent episode that was released and we're kind of talking about style categories. And we had a long conversation about um, imperial pale ales and if you could do that. And we kind of came to the conclusion that, yeah, definitely. It would just you know basically be like a imperial IPA with way less hop content and um, maybe a little tiny bit sweeter. But um, – Still very intrigued nine, by that idea. Yeah. Oh, no, totally. You totally could. I mean, I think I mentioned I, – maybe I didn't. I, I had to go, so I didn't finish the podcast. But um, there's a – Lafrique by uh, Green Flash is a hybrid Belgian-style triple crossed with a Imperial Pale Ale. Because for a while, as, as I'm sure you remember back in college and afterwards, like – my theory of the perfect beer was like a Belgian triple crossed with a uh, West Coast IPA. Mm-hmm. And this was pretty close because it was a West Coast Imperial Pale Ale crossed with a Belgian-style triple. So it was definitely one of the arguably four that you could buy back at um, halftime over there in Poughkeepsie. Really, which is, I think, the um, the Babylon of our of our uh, beer knowledge, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you argue yeah, that? Yeah, and and one of the main sponsors of Beer Advocate. They're certainly they're like a nationally recognized beer store at this point of sorts. Really? Well, I mean, they were for a little while at least. I, and probably not anymore. But uh, there was a while there where they were the main sponsor of uh, Beer Advocate, which is interesting. Well, what's really funny actually about that is, um, I feel like I meet people that went to college in Poughkeepsie, you know. Marist or uh, Vassar and stuff that might have been in a beer, and I'm like, oh, you remember, uh, halftime. remember all halftime? <laughs> yeah, and inevitably they're always like, oh yeah, that was great. And I was talking to someone I can't for life me remember who it was, but a recent you know acquaintance, and I mentioned halftime, and they you know they spent some time in the Poughkeepsie area, and I mentioned halftime, and he's like, oh man, everyone that I talk, like so many people that I talk to ask or like reference halftime when i tell them about poughkeepsie it's just kind of funny how it's well, you know in a certain subculture it's kind of yeah and I, area a I, little bit. I think it i think what's interesting about halftime and i think why it's such a big deal is i there are a lot of beer distributors i know of and a lot of them sell like large um you know you can buy 24 packs those kind of things um but what halftime specialized in in um craft beer and uh international craft before that was really like a trend, so I like alongside for example, their Budweiser. Yeah, exactly. But they were, but I'm saying they were doing that like, like long before this, like sort of what what I would call like almost like the hipster craft beer trend that happened in New York City, where all these stores just started cropping up on like every thirty block radius. This was before growlers were a thing, really, that were commonly talked about. But they had growlers. I don't know about that. Commonly talked about outside of the brewery, maybe. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is the like that shop as as a as a location? Like now, there's that place in Rhinebeck, which only came in as we were leaving college. But halftime was already like a stead stead name there. That had been there for like ten years before that, you know. And they've been doing yeah. No, that's a really good point. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. But they had the selection that was unrivaled. And I think that's um, why why they coupled with Beer Advocate early on because they could um, import a lot of those beers and they and they had an operation where they were shipping them out nationwide from their well, facility. Let me ask you this: Did you know that they have two locations? I didn't know that. Where's the other one? 
I didn't know that until right now when I just searched it. They have the one in Poughkeepsie, and they have one on Hoyt Avenue and Mamaronic, New York. It's down, looks like it's down in, um, like, Westchester or something. Well, I'm surprised. Like, that, I feel like, do you think that's a new one? Do you think that was something they always had? I don't remember. That's a good question. That's a very good question. I have no idea, but it looks like their facades are very similar. That's for our listeners out there. Anybody who knows anything else about Halftime, it's founding. If we could talk to one of the people who created Halftime, let us know. Dude, Juicebox, that's like a that's like a short drive outside of Bronx for you, buddy. You know where New Rochelle is? Of course. It's just north of New Rochelle. New the prob- Rochelle. North the of problem Rochelle. is, like, why would I go at this point? Because, like I said, there's places all over the place like that. It didn't used no, to be just that for way. the. Just for the novelty of checking it out for the purpose of this podcast, you have a vehicle, right? No, I guess no, you don't. I, I don't have a vehicle. That's that's why if I had a vehicle, what I was thinking is that I'd probably go up to the one near Poughkeepsie just so I could go up to Bard. So that's, that's the uh, issue. True. Anyway, Anyhow. the beer I have, just out of just to bring it into the conversation because I wasn't asked, not that I should have been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what beer um, do you have? I'm drinking a Weyerbacher Tarte Nouveau, which is their... Hey, what's your address? Uh, my current address? Like, maybe don't say that on the air. Um, um, all right, well, we'll bleep it out, but it's... Uh, so anyway, I'm so anyway. after we bleeped out my address, I'm drinking um, Tarte Nouveau. It's a uh, session sour made by Weyerbacher. I actually had it on draft a while ago um, when I was with Jade. I think she ordered it because she, she orders more sours than I do. I have a proclivity still for, as we're talking about, hoppy Belgians or... Sometimes extreme uh, stouts if they have sort of like a chocolate or coffee tinge, which I know you don't like, but um, but, uh, extreme stouts if they have a coffee or chocolate tinge. Um, Yeah, but it's not even I can't session those beers. You can't drink more than like one of those. That's that's the night. Um, But this uh, is very drinkable, very accessible. Low alcohol content, 3.9, but um, I think that's, you know, whenever you're having a session, that's the whole purpose of the beer is that you can drink more than one of them. And uh, this is like a very, like, because it's a sour, a wild ale, it has a sort that that characteristic fruity tart aftertaste. I mean, it is called tart de bois, but it would pair really well with, like, either spicy food or something that would be, um, like, something really acidic. Any, anything that has uh, a lot of flavor to it that you need to cut into because it would be too extreme after a couple bites. This would be a good, refreshing brew. And I, and I think it's very refreshing on multiple sips. Oh, we're going to add out your, your side of whatever's happening right now. Sorry. Um, Go. Yeah, anyway, great beer. Uh, not, not like the best sour I've ever had, but for what it is, I, give it, I would give it like a, you know... F- f- Three and a half, four houses. Okay. Especially. And uh, ten buck for ten bucks for a six pack, it's definitely something I would buy again. Well and that's I don't cool. know if you can get that outside of PA though. So and like you like like you were saying earlier, that's a great deal for that kind of a for like a specialized beer like that. Yeah. Yeah. For and for something with that like I said, has this kind of drinkability. I you know, I drink sours now like I used to drink Pilsners, where they're kind of like the the go to for like a refreshing beer that's going to be a palate cleanser in between a meal as opposed to a beer that is the meal or is the drink the really meal. i'm not quite there yet i don't think okay well let's get right. to the topic so, 
Yeah, okay. So today's topic uh, is human extinction. Exciting, mm. optimistic, and wonderful. <laughs> yeah, butterflies and, uh, and smiling little kids. Yeah, so um, this, uh, this topic stems, I mean, obviously it's something that I think Hunter and I kind of talk about every once in a while as an idea that we've brought out there when we talk about environmentalism. It's come up a couple times maybe in the podcast. What has? Um, we certainly haven't delved into it. Uh, you know, issues of, of fears of overpopulation, issues of fears of uh, envi- environmental havoc, climate change, those kind of things. We've talked about this a little bit. Right. I just um, think real quick, though, I think just before we go any further, um, and this is something that the article that we talked about prior to this episode that we're going to bring up in a second uh, did an all right job of addressing, but I think could have been better, is is overpopulation is relative to available resources, right? So right. Wh- while I think that overpopulation, given the absolute resources of the most plentiful earth, um, hasn't quite hasn't happened yet and could happen in theory because the rates of growth are so astronomical. I think that population growth or overpopulation as it were um, is 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 a dire or is a significant element of, of the overall problem um, largely due to climate change, right? Largely due to the destruction and ever decreasing uh, natural resources. Um, I mean maybe not and largely. also our man our our management of those resources, well, but, but I think we I mean. can get into that a little bit yeah, later sorry. on. Yeah, sorry. I just I, think I that like... it's all the same thing, really, is my point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, those are those are completely uh, tied hand in hand, and and we'll, I will get to All I was saying is that, like, we may have expressed general sentiments about this before, but today we're going to be specifically talking about this article that's been making rounds on, like, Facebook, Reddit, those kind of things. Um, what's interesting about this article is that it's actually from 2010, uh, the, <laughs> the guy who said this, uh, there's a guy, his name is uh, Frank Fenner. He's an Australian scientist, physicist, now dead. Is he um, dead, really? Yeah, he died actually like a few months after these predictions, so maybe he gave up on life. He was also 96 years old, which is You know is what's funny? Rare. I never looked at the date of the article. That's crazy. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is that he said these things you know, four or five years ago, that we were doomed then, and it's even more urgent now, obviously, uh, <laughs> than it was when he said it. Um, and and the fact that we've done so little since, you know, uh, other scientists have proclaimed this kind of eventuality, which which what what Frank Fenner is really talking about is is not that um, climate change will kill us out because we don't have the ability to change things, but he well, course, is yeah. convinced. He's convinced of the inevitability that humans will not adapt in time to the changes uh, to do anything about it. Um, he said he was optimistic when he was younger, but as he's gotten closer to death, uh, he's become pessimistic about these goals. Uh, now, I don't know. Maybe that's that's the pessimism of being like, you know what? I'm going to die, so everyone's going to die too, you know? We're all going out together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, like, he's still going. He's still going out a hundred years before us, so you know. Yeah, not... yeah, but I, I, I guess I mean like maybe he's just being pessimistic because he's not around anymore. So like any like after he dies, nobody's really gonna be able to do anything about it because he was the key. Right. You know? <laughs> well, I think that you know at least initially we should ana- analyze this based on the face value of the fact that he's a Nobel laureate, and. Um, 
you said a physicist, and theoretically he has. The thing that's funny, though, this is a side topic. The thing that's funny is that people use, you know, PhD as like a, a, a podium of authority, when in reality you could have a PhD that has nothing to do with the topic you're talking on. It might never be addressed, right? So that's gonna, that's very true. I was going to say, and he's that, mostly and he mostly deals with virology, actually. So right, not, but so not he did set up the Center for Resource and Environmental Studies in '73. So right. there's that, you know. So I think that he is actually like, excuse me, pretty legit. Um, anyhow, yeah, and it's and and there's another, you know, it, the prominent Australian scientist that vehemently disagrees with him, and we'll talk about that later. But but uh, but even that scientist respects this guy's opinion on the issue. There's nobody who's saying that like Frank Ferrer is a Fenner is a joke, and maybe he doesn't have the highest level of expertise that you could possibly have on the issue but certainly more so than yeah, the yeah. layman and after only a brief technical delay we're back people sorry about that all all right no no it's okay we were talking about the anthropocene mm-hmm. um which he was one of the first people to start using that term and uh and so he he is at least right in the idea that like where we're at is kind of a penultimate moment i think mm-hmm. um he's certainly more pessimistic than some people are about our ability to change that um and i think what we should focus on today is is how both of us feel maybe about i mean i don't know what you want to talk about but i was thinking like at least like from my perspective i want to talk about how i feel about this because i often you know i can get pessimistic about our ability to change the situation but me fucking i have also a lot of i i have a lot of conflicting feelings at the same time and uh, I kind of wanted to delve into those, but is there anything you wanted to say, like, right off the bat about this? Well, this kind of touches very close to home for me, I guess, is what I would say, just because I really, uh, before I really realized it, I was, I've been passionate about environmental issues. It's funny, I don't know if I ever told you this, Juice Box, but um, when I was, like, probably six, um, yeah, I started an organization at my school. I was in kindergarten, so maybe I was younger probably i was more like five right um i started a club it was called the earth savers club and um it's a pretty good name even even now looking back it sounds pretty badass it's kind of like captain america the earth savers club and um what i would do i had this whole plan it's it's probably my 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 most successful entrepreneur venture uh to this today (laughs) Um, but I had this... You burnt out when you were five years old. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it was a great idea. I was making, um, I was trying to raise money that I would then donate to, like, various environmental organizations, I think, or I was in Alaska at the time, so maybe, like, localized organizations. I don't know, man. I was, like, I, I, it's crazy looking back on this, and it, I think it, like, it's, it's, it's really the best I can be, and I, I haven't necessarily achieved that since then, so it's kind of like a... Uh, a long ago benchmark that I think is a, a great goal to uh, bring, you know, try to try to reach for now in my quote unquote adult life. But that's some that's that's for another podcast, it, or maybe yeah. between, between me and my therapist. The, um, I was gonna say the hunters in our psychology podcast. Yeah, what's we talking about today? All of my hopes and fears and dreams and regrets. <laughs> it's gonna be wonderful and horrible, and I'm gonna cry three times. Um, It'd be some good commercials on that one. (laughs) Are you sick? Do you have a lot of money? Come see me. I don't know why you wouldn't because I have good advice. And without me, you're going to feel even more anxious because what if I could help you? Um, Anyhow, what were we talking about? 
Um, well, we weren't talking about um, how climate change. You were talking about how that's just been like a lifelong issue for you. No, what it was, dude. What it was is that I um, I made these greeting cards. All right, I made these greeting cards. Oh, okay. But I used um, this technique that was so sick. Um, so I got a bunch of marbles. All right, your your average run of the mill glass marbles, and I would eat. I would, they would each have their like little own. Um, unique colored paint reservoir so like one marble would get to be all yellow you know one would get red blah 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 so forth um and so you roll the marbles all in the paint right okay follow me then you take your piece oh yeah then you take your canvas and it's like a little card front or what have you you put that in like a box with sides i think i had like a nice like shallow cardboard box that had you know four sides and a base but it was maybe only inch and a half two inches uh thick on the walls and so then you put all your uh, paint-soaked marbles up in the in this little container with the little paper underneath it, and you kind of just tip it back and forth, right to left, up and down, side to side. You know what I mean? You get all those marbles rolling so, all over the place. It sounds right? like a Mister Brainwash kind of customization. Mister Brainwash. If anybody, oh, if anybody knows oh, my oh yeah um, the movie uh, Exit to the Gift Shop. Exit right? from the yeah yeah Exit yeah. to the Gift Shop reference for those of you who saw. Mm. Well, you know what's funny, actually, Juicebox? I don't really want to tell anyone, because I'm under a 10-year gag order, but kind of blew the cover off that. I, I actually am, uh, am Banksy. It wasn't, it wasn't brainwash. It's actually me. <laughs> and now, cut to the commercial. <laughs> the resource wars are coming. Are you prepared? Most people don't realize how close we are to peak food and peak water. And very, very soon, massive wars and fights will start out around these very important resources for survival. Now, as someone who likes to live the good life, I know you don't want to give this up, but you don't necessarily have the means to hire a full-time security crew. That's where we come in. You can get a taxi on demand, you can get lunch on demand, you can get a dog walk on demand. How about mercenaries on demand? We want to provide you with the most bulky, badass, scary-looking guys to protect you in your time of need. Just download our app, click the size of guy you want, and they will be there making sure that you can continue with your lap of luxury life. Give us a call today. 1-800-BIG-GUYS-FOR-YOU. Take care. Well, I guess they were never saying that. They weren't saying brainwash. Brainwash was no, Banksy. no. The question. The question is actually just if brainwash was created by Banksy as an art project. Like if the whole film is a lie. And like, the answer uh, is almost certainly yes. Yeah, almost certainly. If not, it's it's the dumbest thing he's ever done. <laughs> well, why did he make the movie? <laughs> I don't think that brainwash is an actor. I think he might just be no. an idiot. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like he... He's like a bad I mean, artist. He, he, and he, he might be... I, I, maybe, maybe, or maybe he's like a performance artist of sorts who Banksy, like, you know, they did a, like a, a project together with, where he's acting as this sort of commercialized personality that Banksy wanted him to be. He like, approached him because this guy had... I mean, either way you look at it, those, like, those files of films... Um, that he has made uh, seem genuine. And so maybe this guy really was filming a lot ahead of time, you know? Well, that's my question. I've never looked into that, though. Like, what what kind of um, back data is there to support this story? He's a what? He's from France, right? Originally him and his brother? I know, I know. 
Yeah, I know. It, it's complicated because I, I certainly haven't looked into it as much as I should. And I feel like whenever I have looked into the situation, like I was looking into it a bit after the film, it all seemed kind of vague. Um, nobody yeah, seems to val- be able like to validate hard. anything. It's hard to get to the bottom yeah. of it. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave yeah. that to another another day. But that movie, I mean, that that documentary was, or maybe it was not a documentary, right? I don't think it is. I think it's just a, it was, the, it was incredible. Whatever. It was so fascinating. Whatever. To watch. All right. Moving on. Anyway, you're making you're making cards with marbles. Yeah, and we would sell them for like you know I don't know I don't I have no idea how much we would sell them. It was the early '90s, and I was you know five. But you were making money for the environment. Yeah, and then we had a loon day at school, and I made this super elaborate like loon artwork, uh, like it was like a like a painted background, and I remember this. It was like cause you, you ever seen loons? You know they're kind of like spotted, yeah. white yep. and black, yeah, be- beautiful yep. birds. Um, they have a beautiful like call across the lake. You can hear it. And we had a loon like a loon awareness day at my local kindergarten class, and I gave a whole presentation with my friend. I don't remember who that friend was, but. <laughs> well no but that's that's great i i like i i can say that i you know i spent a lot of time outdoors as a kid like especially in my grandparents farm and then you know at camp but i don't know if i did anything that directly for the environment i don't even know that i the first time i can consciously remember thinking about it was actually in like fourth or fifth grade we got um we used to get these magazines in school that were Ranger like Rick? you know four or five pages no, no. I think they were specific to our school district, or at least to Pennsylvania. Um, oh, okay. All right. I can't remember what it. It might have been like a Scholastic Kids sort of thing, but I'm not 100% sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All I remember is that there was one edition where they had a huge interview with Al Gore, who was the vice president at the time, in which he professed his, his love for the environment and his fear of climate change. And it was the first time I remember reading about climate change as an as a thing and i went home and talked to my parents about it and i decided back then that i was like on al gore's side for this fight for environmental change now obviously i have kind of mixed feelings about what what cued me about it i felt like climate change was an extremely important issue that we needed to take on and i couldn't understand why people would be against environmentalism even even if you believe that it wasn't as urgent as some people you know, some experts would lead you to believe you could at least say that you don't want to trash the earth. Uh, and that's, and it's, we should try to preserve forests. We should try to I preserve mean, green space. That seems like common sense. Conservation, yeah. conservatives, right? That's how it used to be. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt. Didn't he start yeah. the national park system? Yeah, a hundred percent. And, uh, and I, and I feel as if like, this is an issue which can really unite uh, both political ideologies in the in this country, or all political ideologies, because it's it's hard to find somebody who's against the environment. There are people who maybe don't care as much as other people, but you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who explicitly wants to say like, "I'm I want to burn down all the trees, no more." Well, nature. no, it's that I want to sell more fossil fuels. Well, and that's okay. So let's maybe get to the core of this issue because I think the biggest problem that the scientist has and that I have when thinking about this issue is that we've already come to the point where technologically it's cheaper to convert from fossil fuels than to continue to use them. But we continue to subsidize fossil fuels at a level that was recently reported by um, – sorry, pulling this up. May edit By The Guardian as being 10 million a minute on a global scale. Wasn't the um, Guardian though, dude? What do you mean? Who 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 found that revelation? 
No, it was right. the International Monetary Fund. No, no, it no. Was I was exactly, just saying that it was the IMF, exactly, like who did a thing. But here's my question. And I, I was just that citing article. that that's that's where I was that's where I was reading this specific quote from that I was about to go. But go ahead. Oh yeah, no. My here's my biggest question about that article though is like, and this is something that I really want to talk about. There's two big there's two big types of subsidies um, that that exist, right? There's the literal subsidies, which is to say, in the form of cash transfers from government to private fossil fuel industries and tax breaks, right, in various forms. So those are literal subsidies by the United States government. And then there are, you know, uh, situational, like, I guess, subsidies in, in which case, or they're actually, like, they're trying to quantify the externalities. And they're trying to put a price on the cost that, in theory, the government incurs by dealing with the health of people that get sick from fossil fuel use, right? Like all those things aren't literal money that the government gives to the um, oil lobby, let's say, for instance, but they're um, approximations of the public cost. Cost, exactly. The externalities of right, oil exactly. use. And I think that article combines them both. Um, and it doesn't do a great job of actually separating the two, both of which no, are it, equally they, important. Well, they do actually separate it out later in the article. Oh, um, I didn't get that far then. <laughs> I'm an asshole. Sorry. Yeah, uh, that's actually where I was about to go next with the quotes. That's why I was saying that I wanted to quote this specific article because I don't know what the IMF report says because I haven't read the IMF report yet. Um, but in this article, it says specifically that um, – the costs resulting from the climate change driven by fossil fuel emissions account for subsidies of $1.27 trillion a year, about a quarter of the IMF's total. So, um, Or literal the, sub, actual subsidies. Exactly. So it's about Cash a quarter subsidies. of the IMF. Right. So, but even by that standard, that's $2.5 bil, billion a minute or million a minute. That's what I mean. $2.5 oh. million dollars a minute to fossil fuels, even by that measure. And don't get me wrong. Like I think that probably just knee-jerk reaction their externality cost is probably way too low right like um I, I'm well, a big, I'm yeah. A, yeah it's hard to know because like if if you're if you're predicting the, the possibility that human extinction is at the end of the line of this series of externalities that's like what is the value of the earth <laughs> well exactly and i mean um, i guess uh, what i was gonna can i at least real quick like when you asked me earlier i never got to really get to it but my initial thoughts on like such a dire diagnosis is, I mean, ask my fiance, dude. Like, I always am super pessimistic, and it's kind of depressing, even for myself. Not always, but I get in abouts because the biggest thing for me, right? What's like the biggest indicator of how fucked we are from a purely climate change perspective? For me, it's um, the CO two. What is it? The carbon parts per million in the atmosphere, right? PPM. Right. And uh, the biggest thing was Bill McKibben's whole thing, right, with that whole movement was 300. Keep it at 300, right? 300, <laughs> yeah. 300 is very um, – it's really bad, but it's still reversible insofar as that it's not – we're not totally fucked and we have technology to, like, get us back from that. You know, I think we're already at 350, maybe or 400. I think we passed 400, right? 
Yeah. So from what I understand, like from back in, because I, you know, I did economics in school, but um, um, I really studied specifically environmental environmental policy and kind of all those stuff. And I was curious about all these things. And I think when I heard about 400, that was that was supposed to be kind of like the no going back zone, right? Well, it's interesting because in some ways, yes. But the, we're talking about, you know, changes in traditional methods of techno- technological changes that we can make. So people are only considering that we're switching from gas to solar in a, an appropriate amount of time. So we'd make the switch over like 10 to 20 years. And by that standard, we're not going fast enough. And the same thing, like if we don't, you know, plant more trees, if we don't create carbon collection devices. Oh, I found it. I found it, dog. Sorry to interrupt you. For May of this year, 403.70. Yeah, so it's really bad. But but the point is that is that um, if we were to invest in the technology today, we could reverse the effects of climate change pretty quickly. If we invested on it on the scale that we invested in the highways or the scale that we created like the Freedom Tower, if it was a priority in the way that we make large <laughs> yeah. construction pro- projects priorities, uh, at least for the nation as a whole, we could we could do some major change, at least on a nationwide standard of of um, of, of our climate quality and air quality within the country. Now, hopefully, because those would be cost-effective means, they would pass to an international um, discussion on the issue, but uh, that's never guaranteed you can't you can't force that on other countries at least not yet well aren't we seeing what kind of deal that they're coming down with in terms of um exactly that like the voluntary standards that developing countries such as china and india are are maybe actually looking to sign like i feel for someone that is so passionate about it that i've been woefully ignorant about recent developments because i think they're actually from a diplomatic perspective, have been a reasonable amount of development on this. Especially we, in we, China and India. Yeah, especially in China, actually, I would say, of all places, because coal use has, has begun to fall, and they're really making it a priority to try to fix the air coal. pollution. Yeah, but but this is the thing, is like, is like yes, there are goals being set. Like, like, we set goals about, you know, our automotive industry, but the goals that we set are like, let's let's make this half of what it is by 2020 you know 50 when the climate scientists are telling us no 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 it has to be half by like tomorrow and then it has to be nothing no, by, by like 2050 last year, dude. yeah exactly that's that's it, the problem is that we're going at a pace that's way too slow and that's what this this physicist was talking about or microbiologist i might be misquoting that i'm realizing after we discussed it more um that's what yeah, uh, that's what frank fur because you were yeah, no, no. Well, that's what the article originally cited him as that I was looking at initially, but then the more we looked into it, it seems like he's a microbiologist more than anything else. But um, anyway, my point is that – let's get back to it. Frank, Frank Fenner uh, seems to be on the side that we can't possibly – nobody's going to come around to solving these issues in time. But he also recognizes that the solutions exist and that they're cost-feasible now. So, so the problem is really awareness and education and, and prioritization. Well, you know what I think it comes back to, dude? What? Our previous episode. Campaign finance reform? Money in politics. 
Really? It's all about that because, I mean, the false the falsehood is that our our political representatives are actually benevolent and acting on the will. Even if they're acting on the will of the people, I think that you can find numbers that support massive funding for climate change objectives. But yeah, even if at- even if you deny the basic science of climate change, but if your objective is to preserve more forest, to create more parks, to build up vertical farming, those kind of things, I think most people would be in support of that. Well, yeah, it's certainly how you frame it, absolutely. But I think if you look at, you know, where the money's coming in from, it's it's kind of hilarious, right? Because we're talking about subsidies for fossil fuel companies. And I mean, I I I wrote my senior, you know, senior thesis on environmental taxation in Europe and basically how that could be applied to US in theory uh, largely carbon taxes and and you know similar similar initiatives and what's so funny about all this shit is that we're basically giving money to fossil fuel industries in the form of tax breaks to the tune of multi-billion dollars per year and like we just said like some of those numbers in the articles that we were reading earlier were like implicit in terms of the co- the social costs the environmental costs, which are equally valid, but then there's also literally the amount of money that the federal government is giving away to fossil fuel companies, and who are, who are already making massive profits beyond, beyond exactly. The and then they're also you know, and sometimes that takes the form of exclusive land grants on federal property, right? Well, sometimes yes. national parks. Think about yes. Alaska. Animal because it's all about funding for these campaigns at the end of the day because those are the people well, what I was gonna they, say you know. what I was gonna say is just that it's like what's so ironic in a weird way is that the US government benefits them you know they have their benefactors in Congress inevitably and then they make so much more money because of them and then they contribute so much more money to the candidate it's not ironic at all it's ironic only if you don't realize that it's actually just a symbiotic <laughs> relationship. Yeah, it's totally cause and effect. And cause and effect yeah. and cause and effect. Yeah. And and what's interesting to me is that, you know, I think the main thing, because I think the one of the, the reasons in college uh, I, I embraced a couple ideas that I now admit are not the best alternatives to climate change. One of them, which I talked a lot about, was algae fuel. And uh, one of the reasons what, I think algae fuel... algae fuel... There's n- there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not it's it's not as cost effective as solar panels already are. So it doesn't really make sense in the long run. But the reason algae fuel was a good alternative is because you can keep the existing system and it promotes uh, wow. CO two growth. It would actually it would actually diminish the CO two in the environment rather than just keeping it at the status quo. But the thing is that. The only reason that companies were interested in investing in that is that has long-term profit potential. You can still keep the same profit uh, systems that you have in place now for selling oil and refining oil and so on and so forth with algae yeah. fuel. Whereas if we switch to a solar po- solar power or, or wind power model, uh, there isn't as much long-term profit to be gained except for maintenance of those products. Like if you if everyone's running off solar panels – there's really nobody to pay. Well, no, you, you pay the company that's producing the energy. Yeah, you pay them for the energy. But unless, but unless yeah, you but the, your own. 
But the energy is being theoretically supplied by the sun, so the only thing you're paying for is really the maintenance of the panels at a certain point. So there's a lack of, I, I guess there's both a lack of growth within the job market at a certain point within the scale, and also there's a, there's a lack of potential profits in the long run for companies that have held extreme monetary power over world politics. Uh, and would lose some of that domination, at least, if if these things were allowed to proliferate. Because it's certainly, as as people are already doing, people who have solar powers, uh, solar uh, panels, panels can sometimes yeah. jump jump off the grid entirely, and and go or independent. Or sell back and, to the and, grid, yeah. And and that scares energy companies because then it's outside of their hands. Well, yeah, that actually brings me to an interesting, like, um, a funny topic, that I and I agree with everything you're saying totally. So in New York on the subways when I was living there, and that is 2008, but also to a certain extent here as well, you see it. And so power companies make money off of selling you power, right? So in theory, more consumption is better. But I remember, what's the big uh, utility provider in New York City? Con Ed? Yeah, Con Edison, right? And um, yeah. They would, they'd have these ads in the subway, and um, it would basically be like three different you know, like a series of ads that would be like advice on how to conserve energy, right? You know what I'm talking right. about? Still, they still they still exist. They do it every year, and they get more complicated every year. And that you can buy more devices from Con Ed to theoretically manage how you use your AC and so on and so forth. That's so funny, but they're like number one hundred and eighteen. Take a shorter <laughs> yep. shower. Like, don't be a don't be a water hog. Take a shorter shower. Maybe you don't leave your TV on all the time. You don't really need to know what's on QVC at 3 a.m. I, I, I can tell you it's not going to be a great deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, they're pretty, they're pretty obvious, self-explanatory things that never really deal with the core issue, which is how the energy is being provided. Well, um, yeah. And even if you want to... But oh, here, check it. Check it, dude. You're looking at a, per, a company, right? A for-profit company that is buying advertisements that advertise against that advertise in an attempt to reduce consumption of their product when have you yeah. ever seen that before like think about that it's like gap being like honestly you don't really need any more clothes maybe you go see what you can like uh trade these in for the thrift store <laughs> you know no or you're exactly like, i hadn't I hadn't thought about it that way, but it, I wondered actually after you said that, do you think that's at all associated with fear of blackouts? Like, because they had that big blackout in New York City, if you remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think there's a fear of overconsumption to the point that the energy company actually can't handle the energy being put through the grid? No. Uh, and it's you not. Know what a, I, no. I do, don't or, think or do you think it's environmental all. sort of PR moves to try to make themselves look better? And that here's what I effort. think. Here's actually what I think. It's much more the latter, but I think it's way even beyond that. What I think it actually is, is that not only do they score good points with like the people that are ultimately paying the bill, which is the the state government, presumably, right? So because they're mm -hmm. like contracted, right? Because they 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 bid or didn't, you know, to get that, presumably to get all those. You know, they probably had a lot yeah, of but they were they don't have they don't have uh, a monopoly over it anymore. There's it, there's a lot of competition out there. What's interesting is is how reliable that competition is, and um, oh, sometimes, 
Well, it's interesting because like there are green alternatives out there, but if you for if I'm saying this to anybody in New York who's listening, if you have a green energy company, you should really look into what kind of green energy that company is actually invested in. A lot of those companies in New York are fracking companies at this point, and that is, I think for a How lot of people, how is that green at int- all? Because it's natural gas. Because they see it as a green alternative to oil and coal. So it gets put into a green energy category. And for a lot of people don't realize that that's what they've invested in. Like I, for example, for a little while was was part of this green energy, maybe for like half a month before I looked into it. Uh, And I ended up switching back off before I ended up paying them. But Wow, you, you just killed like a bunch of farm animals in in uh, West Virginia. Congratulations. Well, I didn't. I well, it would have been in upstate New York. That's the thing is like a lot of these Even companies are, are in New York. Yeah, and it's definitely it's definitely worse. But a lot of people don't know that's what they're signing up for because these people are like holding signups outside of Trader Joe's and Whole Foods, like professing to be defenders of the environment. I don't even think the people selling the product know that they're outsourcing that most of their energy comes from things like fracking, but. That's insane. Wow. Um, well, real quick, what I was going to say, the real reason that I think that that they would advertise against their own usage is basically because they're probably getting mad kickbacks to do so. You know? That yeah. shit's probably free. Like, that, you know, they're not, they're not actually paying for that stuff because they're ne- you, well, you, you literally have to, you have to incentivize that from outside the company. Well, maybe the MTA and them have some sort of deal, like they provide the energy and MTA will provide the ads. But at a certain perspective, I feel like they could use that ad space for anything. I think I think in some ways it's to diminish the guilt of the consumer who's using Con Ed. So you think, well, you know, I'm using Con Ed, but you know, Con Ed's allowing me to be more responsible about my energy costs, whereas another company might not allow me to be because they now have competition. No, I really don't think they do ha- actually have competition. That doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? Because how could they have competition if they own all the power lines? They don't. They they are just the provider. They're like the middleman between the power plants and you. And you can you can use other middlemen at this point to be your energy provider to be your well solar. only only for renewables, I guess. Right. What do you mean? There's not like you can choose. Only for renewables, right? I don't understand what you mean by that because I feel like it's for everything. Yeah, I don't really know what I. I can't articulate it. Um, because you can switch. It's it's a free market at this point. They opened it up like ten years ago, and now there's there's different kinds of conventional power companies. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. There's even some. That's what I. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there are a bunch. There are now a bunch. Some of them are skeevier than others. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a whole slew now. Con Ed is still the major one, but it's just like Time Warner has some competition every once in a while in certain areas of New York. Oh, um, yeah, I guess. But they're still the well, predominant we, entity. Yeah, we have really um, no competition, totally exclusive. But it's state Anyhow, to state, like like New York didn't used to be that way. It wasn't until recently. The D reggies. All right. Here's the thing, like like I get into these kind of conversations with my dad a lot. Who you know, my dad's a little bit more optimistic than I am. He still thinks that we're gonna there's gonna be some huge catastrophes before we get to a situation where we're willing to try to fix these issues, like Florida and New York City is gonna be underwater and those kind of things. But oh, he also okay. well, he he, yeah. he also is pretty optimistic about our ability to fix the environment once we've screwed it up. 
um, through carbon containment, through you know the Ooh. progress of technology, which is definitely wow. a possibility. Well, the technology exists. The question is whether we're willing to invest in it. And the problem at the end of the day is there's no profit incentive for anybody in carbon collection, at least until we monetize it with a tax. Uh, right. And even or at that point, shame companies into doing it. Right, that's the other way. Yeah, but how do you shame a company? That's like, especially well, when they're an no, international more, brand. We've proven. No, that's dude, like, kind of ineffective. A lot of like a lot of companies are already paying to get their shit um, carbon neutral through credits, right? Carbon yeah, but credits that's a, are a huge market these days, and it's still voluntary. Yeah, 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 but that's 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 a representation of their company as like a PR once again as a PR move. What what we're talking about is like they would have to take fault. It's like almost like what BP did with the oil spill, where like they're not willing to take fault for the environmental damage that that's caused because they're they're unwilling to to associate themselves with a lot of the environmental effects. And when something like let's say there's a hurricane in you know that the floods all of new york city no no co- single company or group of companies is going to take blame for that and start funneling money into cash funds that's going to come from the federal government so at a certain degree we have to make it we have to enforce the change on on the system because the system is is not inherently ever going to be profit driven enough to to enforce at least at least not internally like if china does it first if india does it first then these companies have to adapt until that they there's no reason for them to adapt in the current climate yeah that's fair yeah you're right um so i so i do think in some ways our only hope is is continuing the progress of technology and trying to find out technological alternatives that are cheaper um energy wise uh than than fuel which we already have and also simultaneously uh figure out things that are cost effective to to capture carbon whether that be building a you know a garden on top of every uh, uh apartment building and, and house that exists or or whether that be creating super trees that are able to absorb more carbon than an average tree we we need to figure out what the alternatives are when we get to that problem because I, if you're in, if you're interested in the problem now, I'd say that's where the future is. Because we're at a point now where we can't just say, like, if we were, for example, we can't just say we're, we're going to recycle. You know, we're gonna we're gonna slowly change into the next problem, and everything's going to be okay if we just, you know, change over our our miles per gallon so that they're like a hundred miles per gallon by two thousand and forty. That's not going to fix the problem. We have to. These have to be extreme alternatives, and they have to be something revolutionary at this point. Yeah, infinity miles per gallon because it can't be gas. So there you go. Well, exactly, exactly. They they can't be minor goals. We have to we have to embrace that this is a major change that needs major answers, and that it's something Truth. that we prioritize as as a as a project that that is worthwhile outside of the profit incentives it may lead to. Yeah, exactly, and it's it's a it's a goal and an end into itself and inevitably the shift should and will be probably way too late but um not too late but way later uh towards that type of economy where you really do have the profit uh incentive uh, more tightly aligned with the social environmental and uh i guess just ecological uh Reality. Best, intent- best intentions in mind. 
where yeah. where it's the you know what we used to call the triple bottom line. Um, yeah, and 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 I think the I think I think both of us would agree though, and and w- where we decide with the scientists at least is saying that like something catastrophic is going to happen before we've w- woken up to that idea. Um, like whether that's oh, California, yeah, the, way behind. The, yeah. the dissolution of California as a state because of this drought that's going on, or uh, <laughs> I or hey man, you know, don't the, hate on us. The trashing of the water. I, it's just the water yeah, situation crazy, is going to be it's the crazy. first thing. Water politics. Water politics is going to be a huge part of of the next you know fifty and years. I, I, there's no question. No question. And re- it's crazy. Regardless of how this. In New York Times a couple years a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, but I mean that's been some, once again we've been talking about that for years. There was that guy on the Daily Show like five years ago talking about water consumption, how we need to change the way our toilets work, and like we sort of embrace that change, but nobody really cares about that still. Well, they got like a little lower, right? Everything got a little bit like yeah, yeah, but still we're still efficient. we're still like bottling water more than we're drinking it from the tap, which is insanity. Oh, it's it's insanity. Yeah, dude. Um, Listen, um can we? Wait, can, can I know. Wrap, I, wrap us up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to say one more thing about like this whole situation because I, I do feel like my greatest fear is not necessarily that humans become extinct, but that I'm alive when the larger resource wars really kick in and we start living in like sort of like a Mad Max reality where like <laughs> we're all roaming through the desert of the earth looking for food and water, just like hanging on so, to survive with whatever family we have left. I don't want to do here's that. What I, here's what I think. <laughs> If you're going to talk about that type of apocalyptic scenario, um, I think that that's reasonable in our lifetime, but not in the way you envision it, you know? First of all, like, not to be a dick, because this is not my, my, my favorite fucking future, but I think that a lot of the poor countries are going to get fucked first, you know? Basically, they already are. Like, I mean, Africa's already been screwed over by this policy for the last 20 years. Look at the lakes that are drying up. The fishing has well, changed. Well, yeah, of course. But I think all that's just going to be super exacerbated. Of course, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I mean, we have enough money relative to the majority of the world that we can stave off. And, and our location um, is actually like us in China. I remember reading, you know, years ago in the short term, are going to benefit, not California, California's fucked, but are going to benefit, like, in terms of longer growing seasons and things like that from climate change. Especially, like, the very, the very, yeah, season, and then, but you know what I in mean. The nor- in the northern United States especially, and, and Canada will benefit immensely, certainly, at least in, in the initial stages. Yeah, exactly. Like, very short term, obviously, especially in the scheme of things. So, like, that's going to, my only point but, is that's going to further stave off, um, you know, stave off action, right? But you don't think that that's what's going to cause the action? Is that like some some country that doesn't have as much as we do in terms of resources is going to attack in in a in a major way? And because I feel like when you get to that level of desperation, that's when the you know we have the real possibility of something like nuclear war, which is really where Mad Max no, starts no, out. No, there's no reason why you'd ever nuke the United States if you wanted to take their resources, because then you demolish all the resources, right? No, no, it's more it's more like a, a recourse after after you've had a war that you fail and you lose as a retribution act for the the loss of life that you know that you when you're in a situation where you're gonna die no matter what, and right. your country's yeah, gonna yeah, die yeah. no matter what, so you're gonna take down everyone else with you. Well, I guess then my 
I don't think that's what would happen. I think that they would. Um, okay, in this in this theoretical non Mad Max scenario, yeah. where <laughs> where there's food wars and water wars, I think that once the United States starts getting significantly affected, it would become kind of an internal mirror to what happened before where the poor people would uh, frankly perish first, right? Be, be rationed the least. If, if that's what it come, came to with rations of water and certain types of food, um, it just, you know, it would just work out that way and you could buy your way into more rations or what have you. And well, then I guess eventually if it continued forever, it would cannibalize itself and it wouldn't kind of, at the end of the day, the irony would be that like, even if you're very rich, there's only so much food, and after everyone else is dead, you're still gonna die. But that's like gonna be our horror movie. That was really bleak. Sorry that I just no, that's that on no, but that that is my grand fear is the like the, we're sort of living in this eventuality. So I guess my in my in my humble opinion, of course, when when looking at articles like this, I think like our hope, our grand hope, is that we technologically innovate to a point that it becomes obvious and and. Uh, practical to 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 implement those policies on uh, on a huge global basis well you just gotta find the profit and then you can beat the guys that get a lot of money from oil that's the long and short of it man it's money and politics and i think and i think maybe we should do another episode in the future about uh, alternatives to fuel and what's really look or, or oil and coal when i say fuel i just mean like fossil fuels um, that that we should we should do an episode maybe about what possible alternatives are and how they're being researched and invested in now and what ways people can actually you know uh, become involved in the, in this movement in a way that's more practical than just writing a letter to your senator. Yeah, and fucking taking shorter showers. Like I really hate that whole thing. Like I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm even, I'm I'm coming around. Yeah. The idea no. Of, no. Like, no. People... It's. It's stupid because even that guy who talks about water consumption pointed out toilets are ten times worse than showers. So we're not you know even dealing with the right way things. Worse, dude? You know what else is worse? It's agriculture. In California, like <laughs> 90, 90 plus percent of all water use goes to agriculture. The consumer usage is like literally, pardon well, the bad pun, a drop in the bucket. It's, it's like my dad says that industrial reform has to happen before consumer reform is, is really possible. Um, and and that's unless, true. I, unless everybody is of super conviction, which doesn't happen these days. You know, we're just not those yeah. kind of people anymore. We can't like stand by our ethics to the point no, that we, we don't want to buy things we like. It just doesn't work. We're too conditioned as consumers. And my, too, I'm, and, I'm and complacent and comfortable. Yeah, like I we we can't really realistically vote with our pockets or our wallets or what have you just because a lot of us are going to break because we've very very much been conditioned and enjoy the consumer lifestyle it's it's one of creature comforts and no real say in the larger society but that's largely very comfortable and grueling at work but then we go home and we kick back and drink a diet pepsi you know and it's all good Watch Game of Thrones. Anyway, yeah, uh, well, let's just let's you, we do have to wrap this up, like you were saying. But let's really quickly. Yeah, I gotta go. Thought, I really have to go to the bathroom. We gotta wrap. No, this just up. just oh. really quick final thought. 
Do you what? think humans will be extinct in a hundred years? In conclusion, honestly, I'm very pessimistic, but no, that's way too soon. I really disagree with that. Um, and hope, obviously, but even like if he's saying that there won't be any humans in a hundred years from 2010, right? 2110, right? Yep. No humans. That's crazy. I don't believe that. Honestly, yeah. I would say more like a, a grand, straight thousand years, maybe. Yeah, and 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 I think I would I would agree with you on the pretext that I'm saying that I don't know. On the pretext that I'm saying that like human human that there's like a few humans left in a thousand years, but I do think within the next hundred years we're gonna see some sort of mass, uh, like population. Either people are going to adjust their birth rates accordingly, or there is going to be a resource war and some sort of like mass death that occurs in order to yeah. preserve yeah. Uh, resource population balance. Because what we're doing right now is unmanageable. So if he's saying that like there will be like a period of time where eighty percent of the population dies, I think that's conceivable. Maybe not in a hundred years, but within my two hundred years, yeah. I would say that. You're going to say your lifetime? How would your lifetime be longer? Well, that's what I was, I was actually going to say my lifetime because I'm assuming, first of all, if we continue with technological standards of medicine, it's possible already to live to like 130, and they're talking about creating new organs, blah, 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 blah. It's possible. Basically, I also am, am minorly convinced of um, the singularity uh, becoming a reality. So I'm also, in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, but we'll be artificial by then. There'll be a bunch of cyborgs. Who knows? Yeah, we'll just be integrated with a bunch of, we'll be like, you'll be a robot that lives forever, and I'll be a robot that lives forever. Yeah, we'll and we won't be, souls. we won't be breathing air in our virtual reality world. So, Yeah, but we matter? can still live, though. Can we keep our own souls and, like, be buddies and, like, play video games as well, maybe robots? We'll dis- maybe we'll discover that souls are way more complicated and that we don't, what we actually think of as a soul, like a rock has a soul. I don't know. We're getting in some weird territory, guys. <laughs> you think a rock? Ooh, yeah. Can we leave it on that? All right. Let's leave it on yeah, that. I'm let's done. Leave it I got to pee real bad. Rocks right, and souls. Next episode. Right. Until next time, Henry and Hops. We got a new Peace. logo. We're on fucking iTunes. And um, we really think we're, to- we're a lot better now. We really are. Um, I we're here to we're stay. We're going to be more elitist. Yeah, I think we're going to yeah. be a little bit more judgmental of you, our, our audience now. So maybe, you know, straighten up, get a good posture, go do your homework. I think our audience is probably <laughs> <skews> fairly young. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, hope not. I hope not. Uh, anyhow. Um, go, go change the world. Go ba- yeah, go change the world. Fucking A. Save the environment. Get started. We're going to drink some more beer. Yeah, um... <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Cheers. Henry and Ops. 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 It's not safe, it's not safe, dog. Okay. Hey, watch the wolf suit.